Lose the Cape Podcast, episode 160. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Lose the Cape Podcast, co-hosted by Alexa Bigwarf and Nancy Caviones. Happy Halloween. It is the end of October. How is that even possible? Doesn't it just feel like yesterday we were talking about when are the kids going to go back to school, and now we're already almost to Thanksgiving break? This is insane. Anyway, we're Just a couple of things before we get into this episode. First of all, if you like the things that you are hearing on the Lose the Cape podcast, we would really like to invite you to head on over to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever it is that you download your um, podcast episodes and leave us a review or share it or add it to your um, favorites or do something to let the world know that this is a podcast you enjoy. Obviously, the more people that add us, share us, and all those kinds of things, the more people that can find us. And if you love us, we hope that you'll want to share us with the world. Also, all of today's show notes and everything can be found over at the losethecape.com website. You can go to losethecape.com forward slash podcast forward slash 160 to get all of the links that we talk about, the show notes, and information on our guests today. Also, big, big news, it is October 31st, which means yesterday was the launch day of the fourth Lose the Cape book. Whoop, whoop. It actually was the launch of the ebook. We are launching the print book on November 7th on election day, which is very appropriate since this is the mom's guide to becoming socially and politically engaged and how to raise tiny activists. It is not a political book in terms of you should vote this way or you should do this, but it's all about moms sharing why they feel it's important to be involved, different ways that they involve the difference between advocacy and activism and how they, how they help their kids, um, be part of the discussion or participate in community activities, all kinds of stuff. There's some essays that share like the hows, like how you get involved. If you want to be involved in certain types of organizations, um, there's lots of, uh, so it's broken into three sections. The first part is like the why, the calling, what, what it was that made us realize that we really wanted to be involved in, um, political and social, Uh, discussions, events, all of those types of things, advocacy and activism. And then the second part is kind of a how section, like what are the resources? How do you get involved? What types of things can you do? What types of organizations can you be a part of? All of those types of things. And then the third section is all about how to teach your kids, why it's important, how it's important, how to do it, what to do, and all those types of things. It's a fantastic collection of essays and information from some really phenomenal women making a big difference in our world. And next week we will share our live, uh, that we did in the, um, Facebook page last week for the launch of the ebook, but we hope you'll head on over to, um, our website and check out information on the book. We hope that you will get a copy, share a copy, post a review, all those types of things. And most importantly, join the conversation with us. We're really trying to start this. uh, I don't know if it'll work or not. We shall see. But a hashtag, why I momvocate, M-O-M-V-O-C-A-T-E. This is a term that I coined uh, a few years ago, really, when I was writing all about advocacy on my catbiggie.com site, which is where I write about pregnancy and infant loss. And, um, 
helping grieving mothers and surviving grief and children and infant um, health topics and all those kinds of things. And I just, one day I was thinking, you know what, I'm an advocate. I'm kind of an activist, not quite yet, but I am a mom who advocates for her child. I'm a momvocate, a momvocate. And I added that to my website. And now I'm trying to grow that term. So we're looking for stories and submissions um, or posts on social media or however you want to share Hashtag why I momvocate. What is happening in your world that has made you come forward to say, this is a topic I need to be a part of. This is an area I want to influence change. This is a place we need better policy. This is, this is, this is. Hashtag why I momvocate. And it's really important because whether it be not allowing peanuts in the classroom or changing speed limits in school zones or neighborhoods or big things like why is my child's life-saving medication not being provided under any type of healthcare or insurance program? Or why do we have such a flipping problem with violence and how do we reduce it so that my kids can go to school without fear of dying or church or synagogue or wherever? So we really want to, you know, bring this into more of our discussion and really talk about these issues because as moms, they're important. They, everything, everything is, whether we want to be involved in politics or not, politics is involved in us, in our daily life from day, from morning to to night, we are surrounded by issues that, um, you know, for better or for worse, are regulated, are made into laws, are not made into laws, are part of our process, are part of our daily everything. So anyway, again, that's the fourth Lose the Cape book, The Mom's Guide to Becoming Socially and Politically Engaged and How to Raise Tiny Activists is available on Amazon. It should be available everywhere books are sold before too long. And the print book will be available on November 7th, which, yes, is midterm elections. And we would like to encourage you all to go vote. Our voices are needed. Women's voices are needed. Young people's voices are needed desperately or otherwise we elect people that the people who, uh, well, yeah, yeah, we'll just stop right there. So go out and vote. It's important. You can vote early. You can, usually midterms have low turnouts, which is sad. I'm really hoping that's not the case this time, but take your kids. It's probably not going to be a long line, especially if you go at like 10 o'clock in the morning, I found is kind of the sweet spot at my polling place. But anyway, enough on that. Rock the vote. Use your voice. Be part of the process. Be part of the change. Be part of the system. And be part of the Lose the Cape community and talk to us about it. We want to hear all about it. All right. Changing gears now. We're talking about a pretty serious topic today, um, and that is sexual assault and how to have conversations about sexual assault and um, sexual harassment and all of those things. So You know, if you've been following the news or just spending any time on Facebook at all in the last month, you watched as um, we all watched the Kavanaugh hearings and what all went through that. And it was just really interesting timing because as all of that was going down, um, I started seeing, or it was coming to a close actually, I started seeing memories of people shared from a year ago and I realized Oh yeah, it was what, about October 12th or 13th last year when the Me Too movement took off. And I remember it so clearly because we were, I was actually at the Boss Mom Retreat in Charlotte and um, one of the moms there 
was actually trying really hard to start a campaign called Moms Who Me Too, hashtag Moms Who Me Too or hashtag Me Too for bringing together moms um, who felt overwhelmed or tired or exhausted or whatever it was. She wanted to start this Me Too campaign for moms just bonding together over the challenges, right? And so we went to bed on I think it was Saturday night when everything just went nuts and get up on, maybe it was we got up on Sunday and we saw this Me Too campaign had just just taken over the internet. And, um, you know, then for the next several weeks, I saw all of my friends and colleagues and people posting. And I never went into detail about my Me Too story, but just like um, almost every woman, we I can't imagine that there is a woman alive who has not had some sort of Me Too instance. And, you know, thankfully, not all of them are as graphic and as bad as others. But, um, you know, there's just a lot of things that happen in our world and our society. And so we're talking still about the Me Too movement a year later, and I see people reposting the post that they made a year ago and wondering if anything has changed since then. And when you watch what happened with the Kavana hearing, whether you agree politically or not, whether you, whichever side of the aisle you fall on doesn't really matter. The fact of the matter is that... Um, he was accused by multiple people of doing some really just morally apprehensible things, right? And yes, people make bad decisions, etc., etc. But I was more shocked at his behavior during the hearings. Anyway, we're not going to get all into that. What it did to me was it made me really think about the conversation that we have around it, right? And um but I was I think the most disturbing thing to me was not even what was happening with the hearing or what was going on with our elected officials, because I kind of expect that kind of childish behavior at this point from most of them. But um, I've, I found it most interesting that there were so many women who were automatically jumping to the conclusion that she was lying, that the accuser was lying. And um, I thought that was super interesting that that's the way we, our mentality goes, that we are, uh, we are so ingrained in this idea of, of um, accusing the victim and, um, and then I saw someone post this graphic that I found really interesting. It was, um, all these little figures of, of, you know, the male stick figures or whatever. And I think there were a hundred of them. And to the top right corner, it had, um, people that are like uh, the shaded of five or six that were, um, accused and charged for their crimes, right? And then there were a whole bunch of just gray lines and lines of gray stick figures, and they represented um, people that were accused but either never um, never went to court or not um, not found guilty or not or or not charged, right? And then at the very bottom, you have two little um, darkened figures, and they represent the amount of people who are falsely accused. And I thought this is really a crazy discussion because, um, you know, we're, we're jumping to the conclusion that she has falsely accused him. Yet in reality, if you look at the statistics, false accusations are very, very, very a small, small portion. And oh, by the way, who would put themselves through what that woman just had to go through 
over a lie. I don't know many professional women who would do that. I don't know many unprofessional women who would do that. But all that to say, I started wondering who created this graphic. Before I shared it, I wanted to make sure that it was from a legit source, that it wasn't just somebody, something that somebody photoshopped together, that it um, had some research behind it. So I started doing my research on it and I came across Sarah Ballyu. Um, she is quite an interesting woman who actually works with, um, men. She's an expert at engaging men in conversations about sexual harassment. She's also the violence, um, sorry, sexual harassment and violence. She's the founder of the uncomfortable conversation, a nonprofit that produces short form videos that normalize conversations about consent, healthy relations, advocacy, and supporting survivors of sexual violence. She's a TEDx speaker. She's a prolific writer appearing all over all kinds of news media. She's been on Fox News Providence, Why, Huffington Post Live, Voice America. Um, the Uncomfortable Conversation has been featured all over the place. And um, she often speaks with very diverse audiences, including fraternity members, working professionals, students, all those types of places where she can engage in the conversation from the male side. And I thought, this is so interesting. So I invited her to be part of our show because this is a topic I wanted to dig into. And I really like the, the, um, the side that she, the, well, what, what word am I looking for? I like the position that she takes on the whole thing. So, um, yeah, we're going to talk all about her and welcome Sarah. Thank you so much for being a part of this conversation and for joining us on the lose the Cape podcast. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. It's so funny that that graphic uh, has gone viral multiple times now, uh, the first time in 2012, and it's actually informed a lot of the work that I do today, um, primarily grounded in the idea that having a conversation about false accusation is pretty definitively the worst way to start a conversation about sexual <laughs> harassment and violence um, because it doesn't start a productive one. Right. It's, you know, and, and I think it's, it's, you know, and it really gets to a lot of the things that are tough about these conversations. Like it's, sure. like, you know, you can have a fair and equitable justice system and you can also believe survivors. And those two things can be true at the same time. And that's not an internet conversation. No, absolutely. And that's one of the things that really came to, um, to my, my, um, front of the mind as well. I cannot think today. <laughs> the thing to my mind was that, you know, I was just watching these conversations just get uglier and uglier and uglier. And, and it's so true. You can believe women and still, yeah. Okay. So where do we start with the conversation? And if that graphic is the wrong place, what's the right place? I mean, so I think the, the right place is starting is the mindset that you start the conversation with, right? And so one of the things that I learned, so I had a bunch of assumptions about why these conversations were not going well. So kind of like why people would have such a negative reaction to, you know, because what I was trying to say with that graphic is like, look, like, I know you're afraid of being falsely, guys, I know, you, you know, you've got this fear of being falsely accused, but like, if you look at the data, you know, really your chances of raping somebody and getting away with it are, you know, it's like, are, you know, you, you have a much better chance of doing that than you do of getting falsely accused. So like, therefore, like, let's have a reasonable conversation about this. Now, that is not at all how the graphic has been used to start the conversation at all. I'm sure. Uh, yeah. Yes. If you Google my name, you'll find out what everybody has to say about the, about the graphic. There's a lot of opinions about it. Um, but what I, you know, I think what I underestimated. So one is I under is I I thought that men were being 
quiet on the topic of sexual violence because they were defensive, right? So that I was like, well, if I could just get you off your defensiveness, then we could have a conversation about it. Or because they were complicit or they sort of, they felt like, well, maybe it's not that big of a deal or like, I don't want to talk about it because it's not important to me. And what I found overwhelming, and you know, so after this whole thing went viral, I, I did what you're not supposed to do. So like I read all of the internet comments about it. Oh no. Yes, under the covers. My husband was like trying to grab the phone out of my hand. I was like, all of them. And, and I, you know, what I started to really understand and, and confirmed through a series of really more intentional interviews with men over a period, you know, so this was about six years ago that this thing popped off for the first time. And, and what I found is that, that overwhelmingly men felt over uh, helpless uh, in the face of sexual assault and violence. And that they, you know, having been raised to fix things, to fight, to fix things, to make things better, like had no idea what to do. And that, and that I think even then, and I would say before the V2 movement broke, which I think has changed this dynamic a lot, even when the stakes weren't as high, like the stakes are very high now. So if you, if you jump into this conversation in the wrong way, or you say something that's awkward, or you say something that's, that is, uh, you know, kind of inex reflects an inexperience in talking about this, like the world will shut down and you might get fired, right? And that's like a real, like that is a real legitimate fear um, that, that existed then and I think is, has been exacerbated, um, you know, with some of the public, the public conversation, which is not as inviting for people who are less experienced at learning about these issues. But I found a, a huge willingness to learn more and that once, once the ice was broken, and it was and it was broken and, and the table was set in terms of look like you know i want to share the facts with you I, these are going to be uncomfortable this is a conversation might be uncomfortable but that's the point like if it's not uncomfortable we're doing it wrong right. i want to answer every single practical question that you have without getting mad at you i'm going to be curious about where you're coming from and not furious at you so like i just i want to understand like how did you come to believe this that there's a, an incredible willingness to have these kinds of conversations i just think that the internet is is not a great place to have that kind of nope. not at all well that's nope. really um that's really cause for optimism then because if all you're watching is facebook for your news it's or even just like the internet in general like it's very 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 us against them very the women the and the women supporters and the ones who believe the women versus the rest of the world you know yeah. so it's super optimistic to hear that on the ground in the places where you're having these conversations it's really and yet the fact of the matter is i mean I've lived my whole life and most men that I've ever been around have never sexually assaulted anyone or <laughs> thought about it. Right. You know? So, so it's, it, you know, most, I assume most men are good, but I have had a couple of situations, which if not dealt with properly could really, I can see how people get completely tainted yep. as well, thinking that everyone is out to get them. And the me too, I think, the Me Too movement. I'm really curious to hear your perspective on it, but I think it's done a lot of good in terms of allowing women to come forward with their stories and to release this anguish that so many people have been carrying around for a long time. But I also think that it, um, it also can cause a lot of um, stress and anxiety where stress and anxiety doesn't need to be. So um, I don't know, what's your take on the whole Me Too movement? I mean, I think, I think the Me Too movement has broken the ice on these conversations in a big way. And, and that, I think, is a great thing. 
Uh, you know, I think even hearing the way that you describe it, I always come back to the fact that one in six men and boys are sexually abused or assaulted in their lifetime. And so I really do think about and wonder what this experience has been like for them mm -hmm. um, and whether or not a public conversation that's centered on, on women survivors is a, is a conversation that, that is inclusive of their experience. And so that's something that I think about quite a bit. Um, you know, I, one I, six. one in six U.S. men, that's crazy. Um, men and boys, yeah. One in six women too? One in four one in, in, four. The, in the U.S. is yeah. sort of, and that's sort of lifetime statistics. So kind of, and, and there's, you know, and I mean, we could have a whole separate sure. podcast about data, which would be <laughs> not very interesting. <laughs> but we can, I would find it interesting. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Uh, like we'll, we'll go with those are generally accurate and accept, and accepted. Um, but the you know the the other thing that I think the Me Too movement has done is helped us get better at a particular kind of conversation. So that that you know there is when you tell somebody your story for the first time and they believe you, right? Is that that's that is a particular type of conversation. So I think about you know, that was the first conversation that I had about sexual violence. I was 11 and I told my mom that my grandparents were molesting me and my mom believed me in that moment. And that was really critical in terms of my ability to access healing, to feel validated in my experience. And so I, you know, I think about that a lot. I also think about the fact that that was almost 30 years ago and, and that what my healing journey looked like as a survivor is not at all about either telling the story of my trauma, which I trying to book, uh, Burke had a, a great interview in the New York Times just earlier this week, where she really talked about how the focus on the trauma, it's not always good for survivors. Like we need to be spending just as much time talking about healing and resilience and like what that pathway looks back, you know, lo looks like back to living a life of your full potential. Um, you know, so, so I think, you know, so I think in general, the Me Too movement has broken the ice and, and it's turned up the understanding that sexual harassment and violence is really bad for the people that it happens to. The thing that I think we need to do more of, particularly if we want to see change, is to turn the volume up on, on a culture that allows sexual violence to yeah. take place is a culture that is bad for everyone, regardless of your gender. Yes. So like this kind of, this climate is bad for men. And, and, you know, what's the latest, the thing that I've been talking about a lot lately is like when people are, feeling upset and angry about the, about uh, sort of the, the male female dynamic. I was like, well, go ask any guy, you know, when the last time he laid his head down in the lap of a woman he wasn't sleeping with and had a good cry. Because the world that I want to live in is a world where men and women can, can access emotional intimacy, can access connection to each other, can access um, physical safety, strength, and that, the, and that regardless of your gender, those are things that you can access. And so the world that we live in takes things away from all the genders and, and the world that I want to live in would, would allow for, you know, allow for all of those things to be true. That's so interesting that that's the example that you gave, because I can't remember the last time that my husband had just a good emotional cry and just opened up. I mean, and I would say my husband, actually, he's pretty good at once he gets to a certain point, but he waits until it's his breaking point. He yeah. Tell it's yeah. So, yeah. Like, that it's usually full of rage and full of all kinds of other things instead of just healthily, healthfully releasing emotions when he wants to. But yeah. I have, 
I have one son and two daughters and my son is very, very emotional. And this is something I'm so glad that your focus is how you talk to men and boys, because I would love some advice on having, like you said, I mean, we have to protect the little boys too. They're also a part of this conversation, not just, but, but, you know, the whole, the whole picture, like how do we, how do we, this is constantly on my mind lately. Like how do I raise strong girls and strong boys? How do I raise emotionally in tune girls and emotionally in tune boys? How do I tell my son that it's okay that he's emotional about these things? It's okay that he cries because right now, like I'm terrified he's in the sixth grade and I'm like, you can't cry at school. You can't cry at school. They're just going to like, not because I don't want him crying or showing his emotion, but because I'm afraid the other kids are going to tear him apart. Yeah. I'll be bullied for crying. I mean, there was a story um, a couple of months ago about an athlete who had just found out that his mother passed away, like during a game or something. And so he was like upset. He was crying and one of his teammates hugged him while he was crying. And you should have seen the comments on that post when the picture was circulating. You know, um, to him as- a lot of them, a lot of them were supportive. And mostly from women. There were men too who were like, you know, um, this is good. Why are you making fun of this? But there were a fair number of comments of people like, oh, they're gay, or why are they behaving that way, or right. and it was like disgusting. Like, you can't a man can't even cry when his mother dies. Like, <laughs> no. So that is definitely um, a huge issue. Just that whole yeah. idea of masculinity, machismo. Um, and I feel like it, um, maybe depending on the culture that you come from, it's more acceptable in some cultures than in others for men to display their emotions like that. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's right. I mean, it's, and I, I have a, I have a seven-year-old boy and a four-year-old girl and, and, you know, think about what are the skills that they're going to need to navigate their bodies, to navigate boundaries, to navigate sort of working out conflicts with friends to have healthy relationships that are both friends, you know, with both genders. And so, I mean, I really, I do think about this from a, like from a skill building perspective, because one, that's like, that's something that I know I can help people do. Like, I mean, I can't, you know, it's, you, you sometimes you, the problem feels so big that you can't see yourself in the solution. Right. And so I, you know, I think that it's, that you know, we talk a lot about, I, I hate the phrase rape culture. Cause I think one is that it describes a world we don't want to live in. And I like to start with like, what are we going for instead of what are we trying to avoid? Um, but I think I do think about culture change. And I think that, you know, I think about the fact that culture is simply the set of conversations that we choose to have or not have mm-hmm. as a group and as a community. And so that, that if we're going to change culture as it relates to these issues, we have to change the kinds of conversations that we choose to have with each other. And we have to allow ourselves to feel uncomfortable about it. I mean, I think it was, you know, something that I was saying last, I, was, I had a screening event for some of the, my videos last night. One of the things I was talking about, you know, about these like multi, sort of to, our, our ability to hold things to be true at the same time is just so hard. But it's, you know, I think about for most people who've experienced sexual violence, it's, it's something that they have to live with every day. So, you know, for me, it's like my grandparents molested me and I loved them. And those two things are true at the same time. That's always uncomfortable, right? It's, it's like, so I'm not going to get any less uncomfortable with that feeling, but I have to be able to, to talk about it and to navigate it if I'm going to make sense of the world. Absolutely. 
Okay. Um, but, you know, speaking of uncomfortable conversations, I was telling um, Alexa a little bit about this the other day. So I, okay, so one thing that this past year, the whole Me Too thing and to kind of opening up the conversation is that it has made me um, less afraid um, to have that conversation and more, um, more comfortable with kind of just going with my gut when something doesn't feel right to me, even if it turns out to be nothing. So, for example, um, on Sunday when I picked up my 10-year-old daughter from religious school, she was telling me that she had to take a test and that she was taken into a room, like a conference room, with a male teacher by herself. And, you know, and I was kind of, like, asking her, like, these questions to kind of figure out if she felt uncomfortable, if this was, like, a room with no windows, like, exactly, like, what the situation was without making her feel uncomfortable, right. like, she had done something wrong. So my husband and I are looking at each other, like, even if nothing happens, this is, like, a really stupid thing for the school to do, right. you know? So... I like thought about it and I decided that I would go and talk to the rabbi that's in charge of the Hebrew program at the religious school. And I kind of just like went through my head, like, how am I going to have this conversation? I don't want them to think that I'm accusing them of anything. I don't want to like start like big, like to do. I just want to find out. I just want to find out if my daughter's perspective on what happened matches what mm -hmm. really happened. And then to kind of go from there. So I would like have knocks in my stomach. I was like, I don't like confrontation. So right. I just like emailed her and I was like, can I stop by and talk to you? I decided to do it in person instead of email or over the phone. So I stopped by, I found her on the campus. She showed me the room. She was like, it's okay. Let me show you the room where she had her test. She showed it to me. It did have windows. And it was like right next to the office. It was like in a very visible space. And so I felt a lot better, not just about the situation, but I felt better about my decision to say something to them about it. Yeah. Even though it turned out to be nothing, it could have just as easily been not nothing. Right. And did she you know, share with you any information about what some of their their policies, kind of policies and protections are? Well, she was like, this campus basically, um, as like it's very, there are like no hiding places on this campus. Basically, every room, the buildings are round, and they all have windows facing out. So she was like, there, every room on this campus has a window and is highly visible. Mm -hmm. And there's always people around, and you know, so um, so I kind of just like ended there because I was just like, okay, yeah. good, I feel better, you know, right? Um, you know, and I like thanked her for taking the time to talk to me and show it to me, um, right? And I think she understood where I was coming. Well, right. And I think it's, it's so important to have that conversation because because what you don't know and you don't have visibility into is, you know, so, so I think you're right. It's like probably nothing, but you know, you don't know if this is a teacher who has periodically been told to not have, be alone with kids in a, you know, in a classroom setting and that this is like the 18th time that, uh, you know, that, that somebody That's is recording something. Yeah. We're new to the temple, so I really like have no context for this. Right. 
what if what if I say something and it turns out that he has been told not to do this before? Well, right. And then it's about ba- it's like, you know, people have problems with boundaries. It's like and that's actually like why a lot of those rules like sort of those rules are set. Like I've been talking, I've been doing a bunch of workplace stuff lately and and helping people really understand the role of policy is like the role of policy is to back up like the identification of people who have problems with boundaries before they cause harm to somebody, right? So it's like, so being alone with a child is not the same as abusing them at all. But if you, if the policy is, you know, you can't be alone with a child and then you are, it's like the same with social media. Like you can't friend a child on social media is a rule, a policy that many, te- you know, many educational organizations have. And the reason for the policy isn't because it means that you're going to do something. It means like, let's identify people who have problems with these kinds of boundaries before they do something yeah. that is harmful. I mean, if my daughter has said to me, yes, I felt uncomfortable when I was in the room with him, I would have had a much different conversation. Yeah. Right, of course. Yeah. Even if nothing had happened, just the fact that if she had if she had felt uncomfortable, I would have just been like, she cannot be alone with the teacher anymore. Right. Right. Or it's like, you know, and it's an educational opportunity for that, for the teacher as well, of just of an, yeah. an awareness about, you know, awareness about, about boundaries and awareness about, you know, sort of how, you know, what power dynamics look like. And, and it's, yeah. you know, so it's, you know, I think it's important, but like, we can't navigate those conversations unless somebody breaks the ice on it and brings it up. And that when you do yeah. that, you're dealing with other human beings. So of course, like their reactions are unpredictable. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah. You know, like, they, um, like this person could get mad at me or this person could take me fine or they could not. It's like, you're never going to know. That's so, why I, I like, really like, thought hard about how I was going to approach this because I knew right. that it could just easily turn into a thing where they're like calling in the executive director and ushering me into a conference room and having a very <laughs> serious conversation. Right, right. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like having no lawyer there or something like that. Well, and you could have planned that conversation perfectly and like what you, cause what you don't know. And again, is like, this is, you know, so a lot of the, the level setting that I do inside organizations is like, so you don't know when you're having a conversation if somebody else is a survivor of sexual violence and is like triggered by the conversation. You don't know if they have any experience, you know, it's like you would hope that in this situation, the person that you're talking to has had a, some experience dealing with parents having a question about something that's happened related to their child and be a question on this topic. But that's, you know, that's unfortunately even in educational settings like not always doesn't you know just because you've done it before doesn't mean you're good at it and so it's like so you don't know so you could have planned the conversation perfectly and then it doesn't go well and then you think that it was because of something that you did or said when really it's just because like the the person that you're dealing with like was not fluent in those kinds of conversations like I see that happen all the time where it's like you know you have a guy who's like well one time I brought up this you know I asked a question and then I got yelled at and now I can never talk about it again I want to, um, I think this is a really important conversation and definitely something as our, you know, that we should be talking to our teachers about if they're doing things like that, because it certainly does open the door for future problems. But I want to switch gears just a little bit here. Um, I was on your website looking at all the different things that you write about, and there's so much good information. Anybody who wants information on how to um, deal with being a sexual assault survivor or how to have conversations about it or how to, um, I love some of your titles, how I stopped being an angry feminist and started loving men, things like that, you know, (laughs) all these different kinds of things. But one of the things that I think is most relevant for our particular audience right now is as we're raising 
boys and girls who are tweens and, and moving into these teen years, talking about sexual consent and talking about different things like that. Because some of the things that I've seen on the Me Too um, campaign haven't even been about an actual sexual assault. It's been about having sex when they didn't feel like they were really consenting, but didn't know how to say no, or even yeah. from the little boy's perspective, I want to teach him, like, how do you know? I don't want to teach yeah. him 11 years old, but I have a feeling right. it won't be long until we have to have this conversation on when a girl is, is saying yes, because she really wants to. And when she's doing it because she feels like she ought to. Do you have some tips yeah. on, on, for this age range? How we yeah. Have conversations? Well, for sure. I mean, I, well, I mean, I think that, that consent, so the, the, headline that I would give is that consent is a language, not a definition. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about it as something that you're going to have one like really critical 30 minute definitive conversation about like when your child reaches a particular age, you're kind of missing the point on right. it. <laughs> and, so, and, so, um, and so, so when you think about consent in that way, you also need to help your child not understand, like first develop their own language and then develop some tools to understand whether or not the person that they're engaging with is all, what level of fluency do they have? Gotcha. And so, so I think that would be the, the framework, right? The other, the other sort of tips I feel around consent is that, you know, we, we often teach consent as like no means no. And I, I like to think about consent as it's not the absence of no, but the presence of yes. Mm. So, so what does yes look like? And not just like a, you know, a reluctant yes, but an enthusiastic yes. It's like, so if you have an enthusiastic yes, then, then that, you know, is, is like a green light. And so how do you identify an enthusiastic yes? Sometimes that's verbal. Sometimes it's not verbal. If you don't understand the level of fluency with somebody that you're hooking up with, you probably want it to be verbal, right? Is that if you don't know somebody very well, you probably want it to be verbal. Mm -hmm. As you get to know somebody, you, you can, you know, start sort of thinking about what are, what are their cues, you know, what are their cues around it? Um, so, I mean, I think it's, you know, I think it's that, I think it's making sure that people understand that if you have sex without that clear consent, that it is sexual assault. And like, I mean, that is something I think you need to say to yeah. somebody and that, and that sexual assault has an impact on somebody. And that, you know, when, when you do something sexual to somebody else that they did not give you an enthusiastic yes for, that has a really negative impact on who they are and how they see themselves and how they can be successful in the world. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that, you know, that I don't think anybody wants to do either. Right. And that the times to talk about it is before you're hooking up. Like, don't wait yeah. until you have a crush on somebody. Like, you've got to practice some of these conversations. As, a, as I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about how I would even frame these conversations with my sweet little boy who probably, I mean, I don't know, I think he's far from, from even thinking about sex at this point, but I know it won't be long. I know it won't be yeah. long. And it's like, um, you know, I think about it from his perspective, like, what does that mean? And I think about when I was a teenager and like what it's like to get caught up in the moment and how do you like, then I think about my daughters and how do I have the conversation with them on what it means to truly consent? Like it's, it's, it's complicated. There's a lot of things going on. And I feel like um, my son is five. So, <laughs> yep. um, but I'm already having like these kinds of conversations with all of my kids actually just 
in the form of um, just like unwanted touch or unwanted yes. yeah. You know, like we talk about, you know, not everybody loves to be hugged mm-hmm. or you, you need to, you know, that we, we all have this conversation. Like keep your hands to yourself. You're the boss of your body. Right. Yeah. That, you know, and then as my son has started, my son is a very affectionate person, but he is also um, a person who people like to pick up because he's small. He's small for his age. So people think that he's a little kid, but he's five. So um, I've had conversations with him that go both ways. Like if somebody is touching you and picking you up and you don't like it, then you need to use your voice and tell mm-hmm. them to stop touching you. And then on the other side, you know, not all kids like to be hugged. So, so and so, he really, I can tell that he really doesn't like it when you rub his hair. Right. When you come up behind him and hug him. So, you need to check and make sure it's okay with your friend clothes before right. you hug them. Yeah. No, I have a seven-year-old who likes physical play and fortunately his sister does too. So it's most sort of mostly, but they have, so they, but they have many opportunities to work that out. But I mean, we have a lot of conversations about, you know, he kind of calls it like who likes to play rough, you know? And so he has friends who do, and he's learning about how to figure out if, you know, and then he has, he's got, and what's been interesting is he's had a couple of friends or kids in his class who, who kind of want to play rough, but then they don't really want to play rough. And so that there like becomes a point where it's not fun anymore. And then that's like, and learning how to recognize that point and, and negotiate it and be like, well, it's not fun for them anymore. So you have to stop or you have to do something else or go play with somebody else and, and how to navigate those kinds of, of you were having a disconnect with the, and it's, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be sexual touch or even, you know, hugging. It's just, it's like people like to play in different ways. People like to touch each other in different ways. It's like, you know, you like your back rubbed this way and your sister likes it rubbed a different way. And I mean, my daughter will tell you like exactly how she likes to have her back rubbed. <laughs> That's my <laughs> <too>. <laughs> like, Right here, harder, harder. Right, yeah, harder. yeah. <laughs> uh, and also just like letting, letting your kids know that it, it is okay to not want to Mm-hmm. Right. Even if it's like a friendly kind of touch. I had like a, a situation with my two daughters a couple of weeks ago. They're, um, they're 10 and 8. And right now they hate each other. They hate each other. They like fight all the time. And um, we were playing this game that my 10-year-old had come up with. It was like a pizza bear type kind of game. So I, and it was my turn. So I dared my 10-year-old to give her sister a hug. Okay, which like on the surface I wasn't really thinking about it. Then she like wouldn't do it. And then her sister started crying. And then she was sad. And then I was thinking about it later and I like ended up apologizing to her because I was like, you know, I'm sorry, you I that if you're not comfortable hugging somebody then you don't need to do that. And put you right, I shouldn't have put you in that position. Even though it's just her sister, you know, it's not like someone some stranger on the street, but still. She doesn't want to hug her sister, then I shouldn't be putting her in a situation where she right. feels bad if she doesn't hug her sister. Right. And I was well, thinking, right. oh, is, this, is this where it starts? Is this yeah. where we girl feel bad or, um, or not consenting? Well, I think that's right. Well, then I think it's also thinking about it from the perspective of the, sis- of the sister. Like if somebody doesn't want to hug you, it doesn't make you a bad person, right? Right. It's like they right. just 
So it's, it's like, it's unpacking those conversations from both sides and, and from both genders, right? Because it's like, sometimes if somebody doesn't want to, you know, if somebody doesn't want to make out with you, that's going to, that will feel like a rejection. And, yeah. but the, you know, how do you, then there's a skill around how do you get over that? And how do you stay confident in the moment without pressuring or coercing somebody into, you know, in, into to doing it? So it's, yeah, I mean, I think these conversations, all of these conversations are exactly what I'm talking about in terms of literacy and fluency around the ideas of how you navigate your own body in relationship to somebody else's body. Yeah, it's so important. Well, we are coming to um, the time where we need to wrap things up. So I want to give you the opportunity to um, to let us know what would be like the most important thing you want us to take away from this conversation. Um, the most practice. Like, practice, 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 practice. These conversations are are have them before there is an incident have them before it's have them in the context of your own life not in the context of of newspaper headlines and so if you're looking for a resource of how, of how to do that so that's what the uncomfortable conversation is all about so we have 80 short form videos that are designed to help people have more meaningful and productive conversations about sexual assault and violence through all of the you know, sort of through a bunch of different lenses and have some resource materials as well on the um, on the uncomfortable conversation website which you can get to through my website so okay great we'll make sure all the practice there thank you so much i mean i really think that kind of the solution to most of our problems is through conversation and opening up and talking about things in a two-way manner, not a screaming at each other, not a you're right, I'm wrong, not a us versus me versus you kind of situation, but a like what's really happening. And I appreciate your, um, your, your different viewpoint, you know, coming from the perspective of how to help males through all of this, I think is, is really important. And um, she's got all kinds of writing up on the Good Men Project. Is that still open? Did they close oh, the Good Men Project? I think maybe not. Yeah. I yeah. I mean, but you can get to most, I mean, most of what I write is on my, is on my blog on my website. Okay, great. There's some really good articles out there that can help you um, from all perspectives, which is just fantastic. Thank you so much, so much for taking out the time to talk to us and go through all of these things and let us ask our questions and all that good stuff today. Thank you. Really Thank appreciate you. you. It was great. Bye. Thank you so much. Take care. Have a great week. You too. Bye.